I just want to uh, reiterate what Pastor Nate uh, was saying earlier. Uh, just thank you. Thank you to the church family for allowing us uh, to take this trip with our junior trekkers um, and, and to allow both pastors to actually go out of town at the same time. Uh, I recognize that uh, that's, that's a privilege in the sense that both pastors get to invest in the lives of these kids. And um, when you do life together, you grow up together, uh, that relationship that is established can go a long way. Isn't it funny how when you're dealing in your own flesh and blood family, you have a tendency to overlook the faults and shortcomings of your brothers, your sisters. You can fight, you can disagree, and still love one another. And I think that's a missing recipe in the church today. Because how much more important is the relationship within the family of God? And sometimes we may fuss and fight, pillow fight spiritually, to carry on the junior trek thing. You may pillow fight spiritually, but at the end of the day, we love one another. And, and I can't express as a pastor how much it means for me to even take a few days and go ride a roller coaster with a kid. Because what may seem like just fun and games on the surface, and don't get me wrong, it was fun, well, except for the one with the 210-foot drop. Uh, if I wouldn't have had Elijah next to me, I probably wouldn't have made it through it. Um, but anyway, uh, there's something about just doing life together that develops and strengthens relationship. And so thank you for that privilege, for that opportunity to go and be a part of, of that special week. Now, I, I know confession is good for the soul, so i got to confess. Some of you have already heard. You were looking for it on the 6 o'clock news. Yes, it's true. Pastor Jeremy did get pulled over by a police officer. Okay, I, I thought I made a legal move. Just, just on my defense, I, I thought I made a legal move. The line looked dotted to me. And I thought I made a legal move. How was I to know I was passing an unmarked police officer? How was I to know that the law in the state of Georgia says that you cannot pass someone within X amount of feet of an intersection? Sorry, I had not brushed up on my Georgia law. No excuse. Because you know what? It actually turned into a, hopefully, a great teaching lesson. Number one for me. <laughs> That's a whole other story. But to be able to say to the kids, look guys, sometimes we offend God. We break God's law out of ignorance. We don't know. We're lawbreakers. Whether you know it or whether you don't know it, it's irrelevant. The law was broke. That man could have given me a ticket. I could have been paying the consequences of that decision. I am thankful he gave me grace. Yes, yes. If it would have been a go-kart race, he might have been in the wall. You're true. That's true. But again, the point being, God didn't give us what we deserved when we broke his law. He offers grace, and so I was grateful for that grace. And uh, anyway, so yes, it was true. If your kids told you that, uh, that's the cliff note version. 
<laughs> and uh, I'm going to leave it at that. All right, take your Bibles and let's go to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Uh, we are in chapter 9. And you will recall, hopefully, that at the beginning of chapter 9, we spent time discussing the earthly tabernacle. You remember the tabernacle was given to Moses, the descriptions on how it was to be set up, the detailed information on how it was to be laid out, and the furnishings that were to be made by the craftsmen, and what these things were, as we've been learning through the study of Hebrews, are types and shadows, the worship practice of the tabernacle, as well as those furnishings, were symbolic looking to the future, looking to the coming of the Messiah. And so the writer of Hebrews has been making this compelling argument because the audience that's receiving the letter is struggling. Some are struggling as newborn babes in Christ, moving forward in their faith. Others are fence straddlers and not sure if they want to commit and follow Christ. They've not yet come to that surrender moment. They've not yet believed in saving faith in Christ alone as their means of salvation, and then the other who is pulling them back into tradition, saying, no, we need to go back into these practices. These things we know, we're familiar with this. And how easy it is for you and I to fall into the same trap and be comfortable with traditional things that are simply types and shadows. Those types and shadows in the tabernacle practice, those furnishings in the tabernacle were to point them to the substance, to point them to Jesus Christ. We talked last week about what's greater, the shadow of the tree or the tree. We don't spend our time gazing at the shadow of the tree going, wow, look at that shadow, man. That is awesome. Look at all those branches. Look at the, that is so cool. But here's a tree. Look at the tree. That's what's making the shadow. Yeah, that's all right, but I love this. But yet that's what's happening with these people. Many of them, even though the writer is trying to plead with them and point out to them that, you know what? Jesus is the substance. These are just the shadow. And so, the writer continues in chapter 9, and he's making this case as to why Christ is a greater high priest. Why he is a mediator of a, a better covenant. Because you remember what's also been laid out here in the previous chapter is that the old covenant has come to a close. Because the substance has arrived. Jesus Christ offers a new covenant in the upper room. This is the new covenant in my blood. And so today as we look through and finish out hopefully this section in chapter 9, we will see this theme continued as the writer is pleading with his audience. Notice if you would, we'll go ahead and back up just a little bit. We'll pick up our reading in verse 11, chapter 9, verse 11. Follow along in the text if you would. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place 
once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats and water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. Heavenly Father, I pray that You will allow me to be a vessel used by You that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide, that you would be our teacher. Lord, make your truth known through the proclamation of your word today. May hearts be open. May eyes be able to see the truth of the gospel. Hear, Lord, give us ears to hear today, that our ears would be open to hear your truth. That as followers of Christ, we would be strengthened in our walk. That our faith would be made stronger as a result of this time in your word. And Lord, if there be any soul here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that this message would hit their heart. And that the Spirit of God would draw them to saving faith that they would be called to repentance and faith in Christ alone 
And Lord, that they would not resist, that they would not grieve or quench the Spirit of God, but they would surrender. That today would be a glorious day of salvation for a soul. Watching, listening, or present today. And we will give you the glory because you alone are worthy of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Where there's a will, there's a way. You've heard that saying before. A little spin on the words here today. It will come to play in our message. But some of you may recall in 2014, the former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg said he had it all figured out. The Washington Times reported that he knows what will earn him eternity in heaven. Did you hear that? He knows what will earn him eternity in heaven. Here's from the article. But if he, Mayor Bloomberg, senses he may not have as much time left as he would like, he has little doubt about what would await him at a judgment day. Pointing to his work on gun safety, obesity, and smoking cessation. He said with a grin, I am telling you if there is a God when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. End quote. Wow. You know, we hear that and uh, most of us immediately identify, ouch, that is a works-oriented salvation that if we just do good things, somehow we can earn right standing with God. That's blasphemous. That's a rejection of the truth that God offers. And yet... As easy as it is maybe to recognize that, one thing we learn through our local outreach is things aren't much different on the streets of LaGrange. A lot of church-going people, they might not say it quite that way, but at their heart of hearts, they hold to the same philosophy. That if I just be good enough, that if I just read my Bible more, if I just do a little better, if I just a little more kinder to my neighbor. If I do this or I do that, when I stand before God in the judgment day, I'll be okay. Gang, if that is your thought, let me plead with you this morning that that smacks in the very face of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is trying to plead with these folks in this day in which they received this letter. And it's the same message that we should be hearing today. That works-based salvation is insufficient. Jesus Christ, once for all, has finished the work. There's no working to be done. The work is done. And we can either receive that by faith or we can reject that. And some people are rejecting it by desiring to do better. Now, 
when a person is born again, they actually, for the first time in their life, have the ability to actually do good works. We were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Ephesians 2, 9 and 10 would lead us into that, to understand that. But anything prior to salvation, anything outside of the finished work of Jesus Christ is filthy rags. And that offering is not received. And so our writer here is, is in a similar way making the case that if you think you can will your way to heaven, if you think you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps to get there, if you think these Old Testament practices, continuing to do them, is somehow going to earn you right standing with God in the day of judgment, you are mistaken. Those were types. Those were shadows. They were pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. The old covenant is done. And at this time period, it was passing away because AD 70 is coming and Jerusalem and the temple practices is getting ready to go bye-bye. So for those who walked away from this message and went back into that practice, probably found their world crumbling real quick and without remedy. How many others wake up to the reality when they step to the other side thinking that because they did good deeds, somehow they were okay? Well, as we continue in our study here, let's look at what the truth of Scripture has to offer. Let's see what God says in His Word as is the only way to the Father. And it says, clearly, it's through the person of Jesus Christ. Notice, if you would, in verses 11 and following. The first point I want us to note is that Christ is high priest. Notice what it says. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Now again, the reader has just read through the tabernacle descriptions and the furnishings. And so he's saying here, look, just like that high priest used to go in once a year on the Day of Atonement and offer blood sacrifices for the sins of Israel, for the sins of himself, Christ is different because he's of the order of Melchizedek. And no beginning, no ending, the eternality of his position. So he's a greater priest than the earthly priest. Jesus also did not have to offer uh, an offering for his sins because he knew no sin. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Jesus was sinless. And again, the writer has made this argument in previous chapters. And so Christ is high priest, but not of an earthly tabernacle. His is an eternal, it's heavenly. And so again, he's made the argument in, in the previous chapters uh, about the difference between the earthly and the eternal in hopes that, again, those reading it would come to understand why hold on to the temporal when you can embrace the eternal. So Christ is the high priest. He's greater and more perfect tabernacle. Right? He, it says it's not made with hands. Again, the tabernacle was given, this under the Mosaic covenant, the instructions on how to build the tabernacle were given to Moses. From who? God. Okay? Temporary. 
They would close up shop as they were wandering through the wilderness and set up the tabernacle elsewhere, but it was made with hands. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, not made with hands, not of this creation, right? He's not a created being. Got news for you, Jehovah's Witnesses. He's not, he's not created. He didn't just come into being. He's always been the eternality of Christ. Not with blood of goats and calves. Again, remember, the high priest would go into these places when they would come through the gate. Remember, the gate doors were always open at the tabernacle. Whosoever will, let them come. They would come and bring their animal sacrifices. The priests would take those and uh, the burnt offering. They would also, he'll allude to here, the practice of the red heifer a little later in the text and how they would burn that red heifer and they would mingle that, uh, uh, those ashes into the water and the, and the, uh, the labor and they would use that uh, in the cleansing ritual. But the priests would go into the first part of the tent of meeting, which was inside the courtyard. That first section was called the sanctuary, the holy place. But then beyond that wall, beyond the veil, was the holy of holies. And that's where the high priest once a year would go in to the mercy seat, Shekinah glory in between the cherubim, would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, which would atone for the year. And so, sins forgiven. Until next year. You'd have to come back and do it again. And next year, and have to do it again. And the priest would die, and they'd have to replace the priest. And so the writer's been making the argument, Jesus Christ is the high priest. Not made with hands, not of this creation, didn't use the blood of goats and calves. How much greater when the blood that's offered had a say? Those animals didn't have a say, right? Jesus Christ said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down for my sheep. Jesus knew when he came. He knew his mission. He knew he had to do the will of the Father. And he did. We also see Christ as mediator. Look, if you would. Um, before I get there, though, look, look at verses 11. Look at verses 12, 13, and 14. When he entered the most holy place, he used his own blood. He obtained eternal redemption. You say, how so? Through the death, the burial, and the resurrection, we know that Jesus Christ has ascended into the throne room of grace. And he sat down, showing that the work is finished. There does not need to be any more sacrifices. This was the ultimate sacrifice. With his own blood, he entered the most holy place. Verse 12, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, I don't know what you talked about last week in your care group. I gave you the questions, but I don't know where your rabbit trails went. But I know in our group, we hit on this verse pretty strongly. Guys, if you want to look at verse 12, look at this closely. Because if there's ever been a verse that, that, that solidifies eternal security, once saved, always saved, you better see what the passage says. You see, the earthly practice required the high priest to, once a year, come into the temple. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, 
offer that sacrifice. But this says here that Jesus Christ, not offering the, the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood, He entered the most holy place once for all. That's a time reference. That's a time reference. How many times? Once. Once. And he's going to continue this argument. Having obtained what? Temporary redemption? Is that what it says? Does it say having obtained, you know, redemption until you lose it? Until you take yourself out of God's hands? Until you just blow it? Guys, if salvation is dependent upon you and me, we couldn't go 30 minutes. We couldn't go 30 seconds without losing it. Salvation is not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon me and what I do and don't do. It's about what's been done. And it's done once for all. It's done. Don't blaspheme the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and say that somehow your sin is greater than His sacrifice. That's what we do when we don't hold to the truth of Scripture. We, we in essence say, yeah, but, 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 no, there's no buts. Jesus' grace his shed blood is sufficient. Now, we may need to have the conversation if somebody's truly born again, because if they're truly born again, they shouldn't be going down the same paths they once traveled and practicing sin. Practicing sin and stumbling is two different things. Maybe that's the conversation that needs to be had. Having obtained eternal redemption, verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the peering of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now think about the impact of that statement. Some of these people wanted to go back into dead works. They wanted to go back into these temple practices. They wanted to continue doing the offering of goats and return to all of those types and shadows. And the writer is saying, no, Jesus Christ is finished once for all. It's done. If, if those goats and calves blood were good for a year, how much more the eternal Godhead? In, in the eternal Son, in His sacrifice, in His blood. How much greater is that? And not only because those priests would go in once a year, the one thing that couldn't be undone is their guilty conscience. Right? Jesus Christ doesn't just cleanse the external, because by the way, that was a temporary practice, a temporary covering. It was just an atonement. Again, good for a year. Um, and it was to purify the flesh, so to speak. In other words, they were still struggling in here. The old covenant, you remember what Hebrews has been talking about, the old covenant dealt with the Mosaic law. The external practices that were pointing to the coming, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, Messiah, who would give you a new heart. His law would be written on your heart. It wouldn't be some stone tablets that put this external pressure. It would be an internal. And so when Jesus Christ comes and He offers Himself and He offers His blood as a new covenant, 
those who respond to it are born again from above. And the law is written on their heart. And I actually, for the first time, am cleansed from the inside out. Not just temporarily from the outside. Does that make sense? What he's saying here, and this is what he's pleading with these people. If they understood, again, the types and shadows, and they understood what, what this is really pointing us to, he's saying, I'm telling you, Jesus is the one. He's the one. That's what all that represented. Remember Jeremiah 31? Remember what he said to us? Remember what he said? Coming in that day that, that, that he would write this? Let's, let's look at that passage. Let's go there again, because I know it's been a little while. He quotes it there in the previous chapter. But go over to, to Jeremiah real quick. And look, if you would, in Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse 31. This is a prophecy from Jeremiah. A Hebrew writer has just reminded them in the previous chapter about this promise. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. So see, he's identifying which covenant? He's identifying the Mosaic covenant. My covenant, which they broke, okay? Problem wasn't with the covenant. Problem wasn't with God. Problem was with God's people. It always is, right? Uh, Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. And so the Hebrew writer is saying, That's come. That's come. And Jesus is the one who makes this possible. Now, Again, we talked about in that section, I believe there's a temporary start to this. This will have its culmination in the millennial kingdom when, again, God will turn his attention back to the house of Israel and Judah. So so there's a temporary already in the sense of um, we are in the last days, the church age, this time of grace that is sweeping across the land where when we share the good news of Jesus Christ, someone is born again and the Holy Spirit now indwells the heart and teaches us as we study the Word of God. He is our teacher. But there is coming a day when Israel, the church, God's people will rule and reign upon this earth with Him. Paradise lost because of the fall will one day be paradise restored. And that has not yet come. But in the meantime, the kingdom of God is advancing. With every person who turns to Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation and are born again, the kingdom grows and grows. And one day that that spiritual kingdom will manifest physically upon the earth again. 
This is what Scripture teaches us. Christ is coming again. And so the Hebrew writer says, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come. There's still some more good things to come, gang. It's coming. Believe it. It's coming. He's coming. And so we see, through the eternal spirit offered himself, he cleanses your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You ever notice the difference between duty and devotion? Well, I guess we might as well do this. In legalism, there's a lot of dead works. Conformism. Behaviorism. That's external pressure to do the right thing. Conform, i got to conform because this is the way they want me to dress. This is what they want me to think. This is how they want me to look. This is how they want me to walk. You know, there's conformism, behaviorism, teaching them to behave from the outside. Sit down in that chair, young man. I'm not going to sit. I said sit down. I'm not sitting. Boom. Who's sitting now? Oh, yeah, well, I'm standing on the inside. Right? That's not, that's not what we want. But a converted heart, a surrendered heart, sees it completely different. Right? It's not about duty necessarily, though we've had this conversation, sometimes duty leads to devotion. Sometimes I don't feel like, my wife used to say, you know, with four kids, you can imagine, sometimes I don't feel like being a mom today. Well, that doesn't change the responsibilities, right? So sometimes in the midst of doing the duty, and especially for those who have babies, you know what the duty means. Anyway. <laughs> Honey, can you help over here? Anyway. Yes, dear. That's when you know it was really bad. <laughs> anyway, we won't go there. Um, and so sometimes, yes, it, duty leads to devotion. But, guys, there is such a difference when out of the heart flows this desire. I want to live for God. Man, I, I, look, I, I've, I have had those days that I am thankful are gone. Under the blood of Christ, there is nothing within me that desires to go back into that sin and, those, and that bondage. Because of the grace of God. If I fall into that, it's because of Jeremy, not because of God's sufficiency. There go I, except for the grace of God. But when a person is in Christ, therefore if, if there's anyone in Christ Jesus, they're a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things are becoming new. There's a desire to want to live for God. I didn't desire to want to live for God before. The heart's been converted. And so if your idea of Christianity is externalism, it's behaviorism, if I just got to do better, I got to do these good, good deeds, I checked my box, I went to church today, I read my Bible this morning, that's an extra brownie point. Guys, that is the wrong mindset. That is dead works. That's dead works. Christ offers you a better way. He's the high priest. He has blazed away, not through an earthly temple, but he has ascended to heaven. He represents us. He offered a sacrifice in his own blood for the forgiveness of sins. 
question is, will you by faith receive that or will you reject that? Christ is high priest. I'm going to stop here because there may be somebody who needs to respond to that. And so what I want to challenge us in this closing thought is maybe you just didn't know. Maybe it was out of ignorance. Guilty. But now the truth has been pointed out. And you say, I don't want to get what I deserve. Because if we got what we deserve, gang, we deserve hell. We have broken God's law. We have offended a holy God. But God doesn't give us what we deserve in Christ Jesus. He gives us grace. And that grace is offered, and it's being offered to you right now, in this moment. Whosoever will, let them come. You want to know how you can have your sins forgiven? You want to know how you can have a clear conscience? Gang, it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how dirty, how dark, because a lot of people struggle with this. Well, if God knew what I did, He wouldn't want anything to do with me. Guys, God knows everything you've done, and yet He still says, come. And if He's calling you this morning, if the Spirit of God is calling you to repentance and faith in the person of Jesus Christ, don't fight that. Don't resist that. Don't quench that. Don't grieve that. The Holy Spirit is calling you by faith. Trust Him and take that step of faith and say, I surrender. God, I surrender to you as my only means, as my only hope, as my only salvation. Christ desires to be your high priest. Will you let Him be your priest today? Let's pray. Father, There was much more here that uh, could be said in the way of the text. But I trust that your spirit would deliver what exactly needed to be said. And Lord, if there be any person here today that you're dealing with that needs to get salvation settled, they need that forgiveness of sin. Maybe they've been trying in their own good deeds or self-help and improvement, but Lord, just find themselves continually guilty. Lord, let today be their day of salvation. Help them to surrender to you and know that you'll give them rest. You sent Christ into the world to seek and to save that which is a loss. And we all were lost until Christ found us. Christ, find a soul today here in this room, maybe somebody listening via the radio or podcast or watching on television. 
Lord, do what only you can do. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Draw to yourself today. Draw those who need to surrender. If God is dealing with you about this, I want to invite you during this invitation song to slip out of your seat, come forward. I want to talk with you, pray with you, share with you how you can know God's promise to those who are called. God's promise to those who would come. And you can leave here with a clear conscience. If that's you, you step out of your seat and come during this song of invitation.